All right, Money Talk, it's time to talk to the big brains in uh, the Hong Kong and financial world. Uh, we're going to kick off with Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Hi, good morning, Andrew. Great to have you on. Uh, first time I've been on with our next guest, who is Driffer Evans, the head of APAC Macro Strategy at State Street Global Markets. Good morning, Driffer. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, so um, guys, the U.S. dollar had a good day yesterday. It, you know, it hasn't been so strong of late, but uh, yesterday was up. Driffer, um, what's your what's your take on what's going on with the uh, the mighty U.S. dollar and you know by extension Hong Kong? Yeah, the dollar is an interesting one right now because um, we we track a lot of um, at State Street we track a lot of investor flow, and um, that that investor flow has actually been a little bit risk averse recently, going into defensives, going into safety, not being so gung ho in terms of going into risk assets. And usually when you see uh, investors becoming just a little bit more cautious and a bit more defensive, that tends to be very good for the dollar. But actually, we haven't really seen that in the dollar recently. So something else is going on here. And I guess what's going on here, and this is all embedded within the whole interest rate and inflation story again, is the expectations that the Fed will start cutting rates this year and then will be more aggressive in the rate-cutting cycle in 2024 than any other G10 central bank. And that at the moment is undermining the dollar to some extent. So you'd expect to see, given some of the, what we've seen over the last six weeks, for example, the, the little shakeup that we had in the banking sector, which is sort of still ongoing, but some of the defensive behavior that we're seeing would generally be good for the dollar, but it's not. So I guess what's happening here is that the dollar is at the moment being touch undermined by expectations of rate cuts, which we think, by the way, will eventually be priced out. But I think that's the key dollar driver right now. So it's a little it's a little messy out there, isn't it? I mean, everyone's like saying we probably will have a rate uh, we will have a rate a rate increase in May, but then we're going to have a slowdown at the end of the year. So then we'll have rate cuts. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Al- Alex, what's your what's your take on this this messy situation? No, I think uh, yes, uh, the market is expecting one more rate hike in May, and then probably we would enter into this recession um, scenario, and then uh, and then the U.S. dollar was, interest rate will be cut uh, by the end of this year. So that's why I think the market is behaving like this. So uh, the, the rebound we saw yesterday probably just a correction of uh, the previous weakness in the dollar. So I think the general expectation is that uh, we, we probably may still enter into recessions in the latter part of this year, and then the and then U.S. may need to cut rates. So that is uh, what the market uh, believes. Right. So you think this is maybe more of a technical rise over the last couple of days, like you said, just just kind of uh, correcting back from maybe a bit of an over? Uh, in the meantime, yes. Uh, but it is still uh, very data dependent because right now um, uh, it is affected by the uh, release of our inflation data last week. So um, people thought um, that the inflation is uh, close to peaking. And also the weakness in March data also help a little bit because uh, we are seeing uh, 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 some ex- disappointing uh, employment figures and also uh, retail sales. So that's why I think uh, the market ex- expected uh, the U.S. Uh, probably would enter into recession soon. Right. I mean, but when you say disappointing labor and disappointing retail sales, that it's it's bad, but it's good, right? Because <laughs> that means that the Fed might stop its rate hikes. Um, but has I mean. Uh, we keep thinking that we're, we're, you know, this recession is just on the horizon, and yet the American consumer, you know, continues to confound us. Um, hiring, you know, every time we think labor is going down, 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 and then it reverses itself. Are, are you guys feeling like you get caught out now and again by the U.S. market over the last year? Um, it's it's 
been a different environment to what we've become accustomed to. And I, I think the COVID period uh, had an impact in terms of some of the trends that we would think of normally as being cyclical trends. Mm-hmm. So the labor market is the one that really stands out here now. That's obviously been extremely tight, remains very, very tight, but it is the ultimate sort of lagging indicator. It ultimately will be a reflection of the strength of the economy. I mean, the one thing I would say about the U.S. cycle here is that uh, it's seldom have we ever seen such an anticipated recession. I mean, this has been spoken about for the best part of 12 months right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that the labor market is actually holding up very well, I, I, I take the points that have been made about weaker consumption and softness on the labor market. But I don't think it's at a stage yet where the Fed will be in any way comfortable with this whole notion of signaling rate cuts. So we need to see a lot more weakness, I would say, in the labor market before the Fed will actually move towards a cutting cycle. So we're we're slightly uh, more optimistic on the view that the Fed will hike once more and then we'll just sit on its hands for a number of months. Um, and it will be anticipating the data. But the cycle is different this time around. And because of that, it's very difficult to make anything other than a very short-term prediction in terms of where rates are going. So, so when, when you look at rates six, nine months out, uh, even over the course of the last week, we've seen quite a significant adjustment in expectations on interest rates. So there's a lot of volatility here further out the curve. And that volatility as well is beginning to have an impact in terms of uh, investor behavior. It's, it's, it's a negative view, obviously, whenever you have a pickup in volatility at the moment. There's too much volatility around the interest rate cycle. So in other words, uncertainty is high, um, except for over the next couple of months, where I think most people agree there's one more hike to come. But uncertainty is very high in terms of where the Fed rates go six, nine, 12 months down the line, and that's causing uh, volatility in the markets as well. So the cycle is different this time around. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about uh, the, talking about this last 12 months. I mean, it, it, it kind of feels like an airplane circling around the old Kaitak airport, and everyone thinks it's going to come and do a touchdown and then take off again. Uh, as they used to have to do back in the day, Al- Alex. I mean, are you as are you as uh, optimistic that we'll have a soft landing? Uh, uh, this is very difficult to call. Um, uh, the labor market is very resilient, and I think this is uh, really um, uh, due to the uh, COVID and people change their behavior, and also I think uh, 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 the the whole economy actually is more resilient than we thought. So uh, this is a very difficult call. I think it's very data-dependent, but uh, we need to see. I think uh, the the expectation can change very fast because um, this is very data-dependent. And uh, as a, as a, um, last week, uh, we have seen a very big change in expectations after the release of uh, several sets of data. So I think uh, probably we would still need to monitor the situation closely. Yeah, I mean, one set of data that I, th- I think people are starting to take notice of is credit card debt in the United States. I mean, one of the things that's been keeping the uh, the U.S. consumer, you know, keep just keeps going has been has been credit card debt. Are either are either of you worried about that? Um, more generally, I reckon, Andrew, it's not just credit card debt, but it's the lending standards more generally at the U.S. banks, and, mm. and this, this this is a natural follow-on, really, from a period of rate hikes that, mm-hmm. and what we had recently with uh, the, the wobbles in the banking system. Invariably now, lending standards are going to tighten, uh, mm-hmm. and they, well, they have done already, frankly. Um, and with that, you're going to see a slowdown in terms of economic activity. That is simply a reflection of tighter lending standards. I'm sort of more concerned about that than underlying uh, credit card debt. I'm still um, of the view that the COVID period had an impact in terms of household savings 
and was clearly a, a benefit to the build-up of household savings, mm. um, which I know are, are, are reversing back towards historical levels. But I'm more really concerned, rather than the debt servicing costs, which of course are going to be impacted by higher interest rates, but I'm sort of more concerned by the tightening of lending standards going forward. So we really need to watch the behaviour of banks in terms of uh, how, how much tighter they have made the, uh, the, the, the lending, their the lending to corporates and to households going forward. That's going to be realistically a key indicator of just how hard or how soft this, this downturn is going to be. So it's not the outstanding debt that really worries me, but it's really the, the, the force that is being uh, made on the banking system to effectively tighten up lending standards going forward. That's going to be the important trigger. Hmm. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, the U.S., the, the Fed is kind of guessing that banks are going to tighten up on, on lending. Uh, but in China, it's a very different situation. The, China tells the banks, hey, stop lending. And then when it wants to, it says, hey, start lending more um, and, and tries to push the banks. They don't always respond as they're as they're told. But 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 generally, I mean, uh, so looking at China, what, what's your take on credit credit uh, availability in China? Alex, you want to you want to take a stab no, at that one? I think uh, in, in the first three months we are already seeing a big jump in uh, in the bank lendings in China. So the authority actually told the bank, I think, to to lend more aggressively to try to boost the economy. So I think uh, we probably may continue to see uh, that kind of behavior. And but uh, we need to see the data closely as well. Because, uh, China situation is a bit different because uh, this inflation threat actually is not that high uh, in China right now. So uh, that's why they have some room in relaxing more in the monetary side. Yeah, and I mean, do do the Chinese consumers in particular do they need to borrow? A lot has been said about pent up savings in China. Dwifid, I mean, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, I guess there's been actually there was a chart that I was looking at the other day that the savings, the pent up savings in China has effectively been exponential over the last couple of years. You can just imagine, right, being locked up with no place to go and uh, you're, you're literally building up savings. Uh, anecdotally, what was an interesting, I don't have much to back up on this, I have to say, because I really haven't seen the underlying data properly, but anecdotally, what was interesting was a few comments that I read earlier in the year that rather than embarking on uh, new spending, uh, many uh, Chinese households were actually using that pent-up savings to actually draw down uh, existing debt, which is clearly not necessarily going to be a uh, a plus point as far as consumption is concerned. Mm -hmm. So I think that's beginning to change. Some of the consumption numbers that we're now seeing out of China actually suggest that uh, we are picking up in terms of consumption. I I don't probably, I, I don't think that's at a level that the authorities uh, expect. I think they expected a little bit more in terms of the consumption uh, rebound, which is why I think there are calls again from the Chinese administration to support uh, net exports and the, and the export sector. Uh, but I'm certainly expecting, uh, in, in line with the comments that Alex made, I'm certainly expecting the authorities to be far more supportive going forward in terms of uh, additional monetary stimulus. And I think there's, there's quite a long way to go again with respect to things like cutting the triple R's and releasing uh, liquidity to the banking system and to, and, and to the financial system. And that will be a, a real benefit as far as China is concerned. Yeah, Alex? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I think the China household actually has a huge uh, sum of uh, huge, huge savings on hand. So um, the authority actually may, may want to boost uh, their spending. It is a uh, Actually, a little bit of a problem for, for China is people uh, save quite a lot and then um, are not willing to spend that fast. 
Hmm. I know. Maybe maybe they're going to buy some of those EVs that are going to be uh, coming coming on display at the Shanghai Auto Show this week. Um, China, of course, is is you know the biggest trading partner for most countries in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, other emerging markets around the world. A lot of them. What do you what do you guys think? Of, what, do you guys have any views on emerging markets? Sometimes they get a little bit neglected, but uh, you know we try not to neglect anybody here on Money Talk. Uh, Driffer, what do you think about emerging markets? Oh, I think about them all the time. I, I spend my life thinking about emerging markets, to be honest. And um, mm. actually, the, the, the one thing about this part of the world is uh, I think Asia is now being considered in a slightly different way to emerging markets elsewhere. So obviously, there are, there are three emerging markets, mainly to the region globally. Europe is obviously under stress because of uh, conflict going on there. We like Latin America, but we also like Asia to the extent that it's been pretty much divorced from what's going on from the, the banking turmoil of, of the last month or so. Uh, that was very much a North America, European issue, and, and had less of a direct impact on Asia. And actually what we see on the back of that is actually quite strong uh, capital inflows coming back into Asia again. Uh, just look at the, the northbound flows going into equities into China, that's just the case in point. And so there seems to be, once again, and, and this is probably true in fixed income space as well, uh, within Asia, both on equities and the fixed income space, we're seeing international investors uh, with inflows back into China again. So that's partly a reflection of expectations on China and the China recovery. But it's also on the fact that there is an element of safety in this region because uh, we are, frankly, not anywhere near geographically and nor have there been contagion from some of the turmoil in Europe and in North America over the last month or so. So actually there's an element of safety here in this particular region. And when you think about a pickup in consumption from China as well and the spillover effects that will have on the rest of the region, um, actually I'm actually quite positive right now on emerging Asia. I think this could be a, a pretty good year for this particular region. Okay. Not only on the China story, but also because this, the region is seen as a safer region by many international investors. Hmm. I mean, one who might be a little bit less sanguine than yourself would be Warren Buffett. Apparently, he was cited in the news saying that he, his sell down of TSMC in Taiwan was uh, in, in large part due to concerns about political risk. Um, Alex, uh, we got about a minute left on the show. Can you? Why don't you give us your take on uh, emerging markets? Are they on your mind? Yeah, I think a few EMs actually uh, are interesting. Uh, say uh, in Indonesia, uh, because it is quite young. Uh, it has huge populations, and the execution actually is good. And also, I think people um quite bullish for many rules companies right now in the world. And also, I think um, uh, you can get some proof that we are recently seeing a, uh, a very large um, IPOs coming out from Indonesia. So that's why I think... Uh, uh, we probably may continue to see infos into that region. You know that IMF report I cited uh, at the beginning of uh, Money Talk, they had uh, the, the top contributors to global growth were going to be in order, China, India, the United States, and the fourth one was Indonesia. So, Alex, way to finish strong. They got the demographics, so that'll be another market we have to keep an eye on. I want to say thank you very much today to Alex Wong, director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management, and Driffer Evans, the head of APAC Macro Strategy at State Street Global Markets, for joining us today.